Welcome to Medical Breakthroughs from Pem Medicine, advancing medicine through precision diagnostics and novel therapies. This is ReachMD, and I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Cottle. And with me today is Dr. G. Russell Huffman, Associate Professor and Director of the Shoulder and Elbow Fellowship at the University of Pennsylvania. We will be discussing the Tommy John surgery. Dr. Huffman, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thanks for having me. First of all, can you start by discussing the types of elbow injuries that you see in overhead athletes? We see two types of injuries in general. One would be an acute injury. So if someone were to fall or or have an abrupt ligamentous or tendon injury, the other would be a chronic overuse type syndrome. And both are important and both can ultimately be the same anatomic structures. But in general, we'll see two different patterns. So when we talk about different sports, so baseball pitcher is prone to having an injury to the ligament on the inner aspect of their elbow, the medial collateral ligament. Many people know that in lay terms as the Tommy John injury from a baseball pitcher that was treated in the 1970s with an injury or tear to his ulnar collateral ligament. So in baseball pitchers, we'll see that typically as a chronic overuse injury or an attenuation of that ligament, but also associated with that spectrum of pathology can be loose bodies in the elbow, so pieces of bone or cartilage that float around and create mechanical symptoms in the elbow, tendon overuse injuries such as a flexor pronator strain or medial epicondylitis. We also see ulnar nerve irritation, irritability. Those are the the most common things we see in overhead athletes such as pitchers, but also sometimes in volleyball players, tennis players who are serving a lot or practicing their serve perhaps too often or, or too strenuously in adults. And younger adolescent patients will see a whole host of other injuries that I won't get into in this interview. So there are a number of injuries that you, you mentioned. Can you discuss the spectrum of treatment options available for these? If one's treating athletes, whether it be recreational or an intercollegiate or professional athlete or someone who's on a high school team who's very serious about their sport, the treatment's very different than someone who's an occasional or recreational athlete. So we want to treat the symptoms and make a correct diagnosis. The first thing to do is, is to do careful history and ascertain whether the incident happened abruptly or whether it's been going on over a period of time and just worsening. Additionally, one wants to do a careful physical examination and look at all the anatomic structures that could be involved. If we're talking about a baseball player who's had persistent pain in their elbow, the first thing I'll do is ask the onset, has it been going on for the past week or several months? Often they'll complain about a lack of performance in the athletic population, and that more than pain or any other symptom is what drives them to present to us. So almost always lack of performance because that's the outcome of interest in the population. Can you talk a little bit about which injuries require surgical intervention and what those interventions might be? Again, if we're talking about elbow pathology in an athlete, for athletes that are unable to participate in their sport of interest, it's the injuries that just don't get better with rest and the usual uh, recovery period and physical therapy and other kind of non-invasive treatment. There are some racket players who will develop loose bodies in their joint on occasion from pieces of cartilage that may break off from the outer aspect of their elbow from an area called the capitellum or the radiocapitellar joint. 
those uh, individuals will present with swelling, a lack of motion, and intermittent mechanical clicking, catching, and a loss of motion. In those patients, if there's a clear loose body or something that's mechanically deranged in the joint, then typically we'll do something like an arthroscopy to remove the offending agent or piece of cartilage that's creating the symptoms. When we talk about more insidious kind of presentations like medial-sided elbow pain, say in a thrower or a pitcher, then it's really important to make the correct diagnosis. If we look at the Tommy John ligament or the ulnar collateral ligament, the pain typically will be present with throwing. Typically, when they try to release the ball, they'll complain of a lack of velocity or slower speed on their pitches than they're used to or than they want and a lack or loss of control. So they're not placing the ball where they want to. The pain will present in the forearm portion of the medial aspect of the elbow in an area called the sublime tubercle, as opposed to uh, pain that presents on the medial epicondyle, which is more common with medial epicondylitis or a flexor pronator mass strain. So it's, it's really important to differentiate those. A tennis player hitting a lot of topspin, while they can irritate their ulnar collateral ligament, they're more often to get inflammation in the flexor pronator mass. In a pitcher with overuse, you're more often to see pain in the forearm in the area of the sublime tubercle with tenderness palpation there, difficulty throwing, and pain with certain physical exam findings. And the most useful test I find is the moving valgus stress test, where one passively takes the elbow through a range of motion with a constant valgus stress applied. The pain will then be localized directly in the forearm of the sublime tubercle. If a pitcher has not been able to rest and then return to pitching and has had adequate diagnostic workup with history, physical exam, and MRI, as well as radiographs, that starts to become the point where we talk about surgical intervention and that kind of overuse. Now, again, I'm only touching on a couple of diagnoses, but it's like we could go in different directions. But if we talk more about the ligamentous injuries in overhead athletes and the Tommy John type surgery, then that's really the criteria. And inability to return to sport after an appropriate diagnosis is made based on physical exam findings, imaging, and that we've tried non-surgical or non-invasive modalities such as rest, physical therapy, and an interval throwing program. Can you talk a little bit about the Tommy John surgery and specifically why is it unique and how has the technique evolved over time? Some of my mentors are on the West Coast in Los Angeles and that really is where the procedure had its inception. It's unique in multiple ways. At the time that it was first performed by Frank Job, Dr. Job did it as kind of an experimental surgery based on his knowledge of the anatomy and biomechanics of the elbow to treat a pitcher who was disabled, Tommy John. It's unique because he took such a leap of faith in his own understanding of the anatomy and his own surgical ability and designed a procedure to recreate the ligaments restraint of the ulnar collateral ligament. In that initial surgery, the exposure was quite wide and the flexor pronator mass was detached and the ulnar nerve transposed. So it was a kind of big procedure at the time. Since the 1970s, when that initial surgery was done, and by the way, Tommy John went on to win over 300 baseball games and win many awards after the ligament reconstruction, whereas prior to that date, that was it. A pitcher with that diagnosis was done. So it really was a revolutionary procedure, and it took a lot of courage for Dr. Joe to do that. Since that time, when they did such a large exposure and routinely moved the ulnar nerve, we've gotten to smaller and smaller incisions, and we don't routinely treat the ulnar nerve unless it's uh, symptomatic at the time of surgery or 
if it's at risk because it's unstable in the cubital tunnel or subluxate with elbow flexion. So our surgery has gotten smaller in terms of the size of the incision. We now kind of split or divide the, the muscle fibers of the flexor pronator mass. And at Penn, we've actually now created a, a surgery that's even less invasive in terms of the length of the incision. And we're using cortical button fixation to create single tunnels as opposed to the five tunnels that Dr. Job originally, and by tunnels, I mean bone tunnels or tunnels through which the tendon passes and the fixation of the ligament or the graft that's used to replace the ligament. So we now just use two tunnels and cortical button fixation, which is extremely strong and can make an even smaller incision than we could, say, five years ago or six years ago. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Medical Breakthroughs from Penn Medicine on ReachMD. I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Cottle, and joining me is Dr. G. Russell Huffman, Associate Professor and Director of the Shoulder and Elbow Fellowship at the University of Pennsylvania. So going back to the Tommy John surgery, which is what we're discussing, can you talk a little bit about the advantages of the surgery? The biggest advantage is for an individual who is no longer able to participate or able to throw because of ligament damage or insufficiency, the advantage is that it gives them about an 85% chance of returning to the same level or even progressing on beyond their current level of throwing, whereas the alternative is that their career is finished. So that's really the advantage. Again, before the initial surgery on Tommy John, that that was a career-ending injury. And so you just stop playing baseball or throwing a javelin or, or doing whatever sport required stress to be placed on that ligament. And that speaks very well, obviously, to the advantage of being able to get back to the sport that the patient is, has been practicing or, or been, been playing. So that speaks a little bit to the success rate because you mentioned how successful it can be. Can you talk about the recovery process and, and maybe speak a little bit about that? The recovery is a little different depending on the athlete and specifically what they do. Again, the most common athlete that requires this procedure is a, is a baseball pitcher. Also, baseball catchers, outfielders, and uh, players on the kind of left side of the field, so shortstop, third baseman, can also be prone to this injury. Now, if you're a, a what's called a position player, outfield catcher, anything that's not the pitcher, the recovery is much faster than if you are a pitcher. The reason for that is that the pitcher is the only one that is expected to throw at maximal velocity or with maximal force dozens, sometimes uh, more than 100 times during a game. So if we're talking about a, a position player, they may be able to return to full participation at, at a very high level or their maximum level within a half a year. If we're talking about a pitcher, while they may be throwing as early as, as five to six months, it's uncommon that they reach their peak performance before a year to a year and a half after the surgery. I've had other wrestlers, gymnasts, and people like that and their return is, is similar to, say, a baseball position player, depending on what they do. But it's really the pitchers where the, you look at the longest recovery. So the recovery for a pitcher really starts day one after surgery. Obviously, they can't work their arm out, but we do know that 60 to 70% of the velocity of a baseball pitch or a throw actually comes from the player's trunk. So their legs and core strength is paramount to achieving effectiveness and uh, high velocities and force with throwing. So day one, I have them start working on a leg press and riding a stationary bike. And I think that's really important for a couple of reasons. One is it, it makes them focus on the, the foundation and the fundamentals. And two, most athletes get a lot of their sense of 
well-being or self-worth from their participation. I'm not saying that's healthy, but it's natural as a human to be that way. We take pride in what we're good at, and when that's stripped from us suddenly, it can be very discouraging. So the fact that they can start working on some of the fundamentals that will actually help them be better pitchers on day one after surgery, I think, is is crucial, uh, both physically and psychologically. So recovery starts day one, but it can be a long process for sure. I think it's also very interesting kind of what you just said about the importance of participation and staying involved and how your training recommendations kind of reflect that. I think that's very nice. You mentioned the recovery and how it's involved, the success rates a little bit. Patient satisfaction, I would imagine that this would be related to their ability to get back and and go and play their sport, but are patients typically satisfied with the procedure and the outcomes? Typically, yes. It's a highly successful procedure. It's interesting. We depend, our team has looked at outcomes in athletes in various ways. And say if your mother or your sister or cousin undergoes knee or hip replacement surgery or procedure, the outcome of interest is usually this subjective form that gets mailed out or filled out in the office, like how far can you walk, how satisfied are you. What we found pretty convincingly, and we've we've published a couple of articles on this, is that those outcomes don't really matter to athletes because athletes are, their expectations are so far above what we call normative values or what most of the population expects. So in other words, a baseball pitcher cares about one thing, can I throw accurately and with the velocity I had before to be successful in my sport? So the outcome of interest for, for these athletes is their actual performance you know, on the field. And that's really the only thing that matters. So the patients or athletes that successfully return are very satisfied. And those that aren't are less satisfied, even if they're completely normal in all other aspects of life. So it's it's definitely a different population than we typically treat outside of the performance athlete. Well, and finally, can you discuss the potential for re-injury and really what the best strategies are for prevention? In this case? The two actually go together. There are things that lead up to putting one at risk for tearing their ulnar collateral ligament. We and others have observed that it's really the best pitchers that are most at risk. So it's the starting pitchers who have the lower ERA or earned run average. They just tend to be used more and they're used for longer outings. So the potential for fatigue and poor mechanics as muscles start to fatigue is higher. And there's very good literature suggesting that pathology in the shoulder blade and trunk can really alter the mechanics of throwing. And again, it's important to remember that the majority of the force is generated through one's legs and trunk, not through one's arm. So the arm, shoulder, and elbow, as well as hand and forearm, are really for ball control when we're talking about pitching and not for force generation. So if we see an athlete with core strength or a lack of hip rotation, especially in their lead leg, or subtle loss of motion in their shoulder. Those are the individuals who are at highest risk for tearing their ulnar collateral ligament. So the best prevention is recognizing those things, giving adequate rest to athletes, and really working on the core strength, stretching of the shoulders, stretching of the hips, and really proper body mechanics. That's also the best way to prevent a re-injury. And actually, one of my criteria for doing a Tommy John surgery is making sure that the athlete has full shoulder motion and that we've already addressed core strength issues. 
if those issues are existent at the time of an injury and we think surgery is necessary, then it's really important for the provider to start to address those immediately because if, if the surgery is done and those aren't addressed, then the success rate is not as high and the failure rate or retear rate is much higher. Well, this has been very, very interesting. Before we close, is there anything else that you would like to add? There are many other injuries one can have in the elbow as an athlete. I think the Tommy John surgery takes the spotlight because of the importance of baseball in our society as Americans, but certainly in Latin America and Japan and other countries as well. But I think really the fundamentals and prevention are, are probably the most important things I could say because there are certain athletes who come in with early elbow pain that could lead to the need for surgery, and certainly we've been able to address their shoulder issues, their trunk stabilization issues, and core strength, and their elbow pain goes away. So I think it's really fundamental and paramount to address those underlying issues that are less sexy or attractive or don't garner all the headlines that a UCL reconstruction would, but those are really the foundation for preventing these injuries and also ensuring successful rehab after surgery for these injuries. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Hoffman. We really appreciate you being with us today and sharing your insights on the Tommy John surgery. Thanks, Dr. Cole. I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Caudill, and thank you for listening. You've been listening to Medical Breakthroughs from Penn Medicine. To download this podcast or to access others in the series, please visit reachmd.com slash pen and visit Penn Physician Link an exclusive program that helps referring physicians connect with Penn. Here you can find education resources, information about our expedited referral process, and communication tools. To learn more, visit www.penmedicine.org slash physician link. Thank you for listening.